0: this evening as we have made mention of several times today already of course our number is down a good bit today but that's due to some who are traveling and vacationing and some who are actually sick some who are kind of worried not wanting to get sick in several categories but we're we are thankful that you are here i don't know that i say it enough but appreciate so much the guys who leading our worship all of our gentlemen who who lead in various capacities uh jeff did a wonderful job this morning and appreciate Heath's prayer and robert's prayer this evening and charles leading singing uh and we have to of course every once in a while make sure we give a, a shout out or a kudos to those guys that are that are in the sound booth and working the powerpoint I uh, just tell Hannah made mention before services that this morning there was just a little hiccup you know with one slide she said it made me nervous and Charles said it made me nervous you know as a song leader so uh, we appreciate those guys who do a good job that's a, a tough job if you've never had to do it uh, you get a little more nervous trying to do it and we're thankful that things do go as smoothly uh, as they do around here most of the time and appreciate all who lead. Uh, I think we need to cover one more thing, a couple more things before we get started. One is we need to clarify that in the Bible it says that the sheep are on the right-hand side. We were trying to get more sheep over here tonight. They were worried before services. I told them, I said, uh, you know, if you're standing in the back, this is the right you know, and this is the left, but if you're standing up here, this is the right. So they were worried there weren't very many sheep over here uh, tonight on the right-hand side. And then I wanted to say that maybe we should begin our services tonight by just going over last week's lesson, because the comment I got most last week was that I didn't hear anything you said last Sunday night. Uh, and I think most of you are here for that. Uh, we're thankful, of course, that uh, we have a lot of good men in that capacity as well who are willing to uh, uh, to look out for us. And we certainly want to give the benefit of the doubt as much as we can when we have Visitors, but we were thankful. A lot of folks were, were watching out last week. But again, most the most frequent comment I got for folks leaving the service was, "You need to do that again because I didn't get anything out of it." So we won't cover the Book of Psalms again tonight. But uh, appreciate so much um, those who uh, who are always giving compliments uh, as we go through our different lessons. The two lessons that we have kind of been looking at for uh, almost three years now, it's hard to believe, or I guess just over three years, was the Book of the Month Club or is the Book of the Month Club as we've kind of worked our way through the Bible. It takes a, a while. I've always joked that's a bit of job security, you know, uh, to think about uh, every book of the Bible, just one a month, and try to take an overview. But secondly is the one-word study, and this, in the same, kind of the same vein, is meant to be a, a year-long, one-year-long one weekly study. But rather than sort of tie up every single Sunday night during the course of a year, I decided even when I was speaking at Lake Hills uh, to kind of space it out just once a month. We kind of cover some of these words and other lessons, but it can also be encouraging encouraging to focus in on certain words and to think about uh, their use in the Bible and their meaning. And so we've been doing that for a while now, and I don't have every single grouping of words that we've been through so far, but we are coming up on finishing The section of the book, the section of the study that is entitled Last Things. And so it's been spread out a little bit now, almost about six months, but we've talked about judgment, resurrection, and then for the last two months we've talked about heaven and hell. But I think it's interesting that this particular section ends with the word hope. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I felt like I've done this lesson before as I was doing some of the word studies. Excuse me, I think I've used some of these before in other lessons as we have talked about hope. But hopefully tonight there is something that maybe you can take and apply and think a little bit more about what the Bible has to say about the word hope. So we are ready for what would be week nineteen if you were doing it across a uh, across a week uh, weekly during the year. But we're going to talk about it this week with the word hope, and as we'd have monthly tonight, there are two Hebrew words that we think of when we begin to think about uh, the Old Testament and the way that the word hope is used. I did not. Sometimes I rely on the studies from the book in particular, uh, but I did not get a particular word count for these words. Sometimes the person who writes the the study guide that goes along with these studies, these word studies, will give. They'll say it's been used 52 times or 100 times or whatever it is. I didn't get a a word count, but there are two main words, the most common Hebrew terms for hope that we find in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, let's first turn to Genesis chapter 8. And verse number 12. Now the other thing that I make mention probably quite often more than I should is it depends on the translation you have. Uh, even as I was doing some studying this week and thinking about these words uh, and looking up maybe on my computer the King James but using the New King James, that I the Bible that I use to preach from here, you'll find a few different uh, words that are used. But these are the two most common ones. And let's begin uh, actually with the bottom word there, which is uh, commonly translated Yakal. I'm not a, a Hebrew scholar or uh, can not an expert at pronunci- uh, pronunciation, but that is sort of "yahal," and it is translated to "wait for." It's translated hope, but the idea is to wait for. Now, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 12, when you think of hope, as we're going to talk about tonight, we think about the hope of heaven. But in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 12, we see that Noah, speaking of Noah on the ark, so he yahawed, he waited. Yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. I picked out verse twelve, but if you opened to that passage, you'll see in verse ten that word Yahal, and he waited. And again, if you have a King James, I think it may have a different word there, but it's the idea simply of to wait for. It's not any deeper than that necessarily. It's used in this sense that that Noah and those folks there with him are just waiting on the ark. They're waiting till they're allowed. Uh, to get off and to go on to dry land, and so they are simply waiting for something. The, the top word, is we, as I put it here on the screen, is, is hava, which simply means to wait as well. And it's interesting, if you have your Bible, look in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, first of all. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 31. You may have this underlined in your Bible if you'd like to do that. But this idea of hava is to wait but those who, Havah, wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we know that verse. We sing that song sometimes. But those who wait, Havah. Now, if you're there in Isaiah, you might go backwards to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 17. Isaiah 8, 17, the Lord speaking uh, to Isaiah there and talking to him, and it says in verse 17, for the Lord, or excuse me, verse 11 begins, for the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, and down in verse 17, and I will have I wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope, I will have I in him. Now, it's interesting. I, I want to give you a little bit deeper. Uh, as I was doing some more studying, uh, the word there, kavah or hava, the, the, there's a root word which is the kind of the q a v at the beginning, which actually is the translation, the idea of a cord, a cord. And so when we kind of do word studies, we think about a a cord and pulling a cord or a rope tight. Well, what happens when you pull a cord tight? Well, you get tension. And so this idea of hoping or waiting is the idea of the tension that is there in a cord until it is released. Or the tension that you may have while you're waiting. And so that's kind of an interesting concept as we go back and think about the usage of these words here. When we go to the New Testament, in the New Testament there is one main Greek word that is used and that is elpis peace. it is the noun for hope, and there is an associated verb that we'll get to in just a few moments. We don't usually get into uh, the idea of nouns or verbs when it comes to some of these word studies. But in almost every context, when this word peace is used, they convey, both the noun and the verb, convey the meaning of confident expectation. Confident expectation. I know that you kind of understand Biblical hope. A lot of times I, I will use the example, I probably used it in other lessons over the course of our years together, but the idea that I hope it will snow tomorrow, we will say during the winter, or I hope that there is ice cream or cake or dessert after dinner, that's much different than it comes to talking about biblical hope. Those are silly, uh, you know, but we understand that concept. But when they, when this word or these words are used, there is a confident Expectation. Let's look at one. First Peter chapter one and verse number three. First Peter chapter one and verse number three. We have studied the books, uh, the epistles of Peter here lately, and Jerry and uh, Charles have led us in those thoughts here in the auditorium on Sunday morning. Peter begins here by saying, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living el peace." A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's interesting when you think about it in that context as well. Because you, know, you would understand Peter's not saying, boy, I sure hope. You know, I really hope that God is right or true. I hope, hope that these things are real. Like I hope that it, it, the weather will be right tomorrow. No, it's, it's different than that. it's a living LP or a living hope. In fact, as we go a little bit further here and think about it, uh, the object of the hope in the New Testament is the promises of God. I did something there, Travis. You may have to go all the way back. We're not ready for the invitation song yet, Charles. Don't jump up. Hold on. Made Charles get excited. There we go. Maybe uh, the way I've got the broken down here. But the promises of God. Sorry about that. Uh, When we think about even pagan literature, we might say, going back into just regular old literature, looking at at Greek writings, they'll use these words. And they're used in a similar fashion for just kind of a prospect of a good future. You know, I hope. Prospect of a good future. But there are also contexts in which they refer to the anticipation of a future that is foreboding. Maybe a little more uh, not so happy, not so nice. But in the New Testament... The object of the hope is frequently the promises of God. And because there is no foreboding, there is no nervousness, or maybe this is not going to work out, or maybe things will be bad, but because it is in the promises of God, there, the resulting feeling is a confident and joyful connotation. I've just pointed out one here in 1 Peter chapter 1. We don't have time to go through all of the usages, but there are there is always a... Confident or joyful connotation. The reason I I wanted to go ahead and point this out here is I have on the screen for you, and and I think it's absolutely true, the object is frequently the promises of God. But I also heard someone say that the New Testament hope is built upon not just, you know, fun things or, or something unexpected, but built upon a person. And I think there's some truth behind that, too. And I would mention that in context of 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. That God has begotten us again to a living hope. Well, how or why or what does this mean or how can we know that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? So maybe it's both of those things, but surely the promises of God are are frequently the object of hope. But at the same time, it's built upon a person as well. And I don't know that we're going to get into it too much tonight in this lesson, but not just a person. But that person's death, and even as Peter is making the point here, not just his death, but his resurrection. Because his death was important. We honored that and spent time in that this morning, but also it has to do with his resurrection. The fundamental meanings of the terms that are used for hope here, the words that we've talked about, bring to light some points for consideration, and let's touch on those here. A couple of points for consideration. Number one, and these are kind of connected here in one sentence, but hoping always entails waiting. I hope it snows tomorrow. I hope there's dessert at the end of the meal. I hope the weather is nice, whatever. I hope that I get that job. That always involves waiting. Hoping always entails waiting, though not all waiting is done in hope. Sometimes we know that what we're hoping for is not going to happen, but yet You know, that that just, there's still waiting that is involved there. We have to spend the time until it comes about or comes to pass. So hoping always entails waiting, though not all waiting is done in hope. And sort of in connection with that, the object then of the hope determines the quality of the hope. I love dessert. I love it when it snows. I love all those things that we're kind of using as somewhat silly and trivial examples, but we understand that the object of the hope and the object of our hope being the promises of God and Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus determines the quality of hope. Yeah, I may want those things to happen in coming days here upon this earth, but when I think about the hope that we have as we think about a home in heaven, the promises of God, it's so much more than that. And so we go further and we would also make the point then that Christian hope is not just a maybe, but an expectation. It's not just a maybe, but it is an expectation. And so I think that it is tough because uh, when we think about our lives, most things are a maybe. We want them to happen and we know when we think about wanting those things to happen, we know there is a chance. And I think we have a, a tough time with this sometimes because we also question our Christianity or our Christian walk. We question God sometimes. And we wonder, you know, or, or maybe we're unsure of our lives. And we say, well, you know, I just don't, I can't know if I'm saved. How, how can I know that? I, I have sin in my life or I have simple things that come about. How can I know? Well, it's not just a Maybe. When we sing some of these songs, and again, appreciate Charles picking out some tonight, my hope is built on nothing less. It's a confident expectation. It's more than just a maybe, and we don't have to be afraid of that as we consider that prospect. So therefore, tonight, hope is, for Christians, hope means waiting with joyful optimism and confident trust for the fulfillment of the promises of God. Therefore, hope for Christians. Hope is waiting. Yes, we still have to wait. We still have to wait. But it's waiting with joyful and confident connotations like we've talked about. Confident trust for the fulfillment of the promises of God. One other passage that I wanted to point out to you here before we close with a couple of stories. Uh, Luke chapter 24 as we think about the words that we talked about earlier, the usage of the words, Luke chapter 24 and verse 21, really there's a whole section there, Luke 24, 13 through 27. This has become a favorite passage of mine lately. I preached on it here back a, a couple of years ago, I guess that was 2020, when we were preparing for Luke, the book of Luke, for the Bible Bowl, for uh, last to Leaders in 2020, and then when everything changed in March and it was canceled. Uh, we think about it in, in that, that way. And then I also use this lesson again just this summer as I preached on these two guys on the road to Emmaus. But I think it's a, just a fascinating story because of several reasons. One is that Jesus sort of appears to them incognito. You know, they're not sure who he is for part of the story. But just to put ourselves in their position. Do you recall there in Luke 24, that it, or really Luke 23, that Jesus has died on the cross? In Luke 24, he makes that great resurrection, but not everyone is quite aware of that yet. Even though he made the promise, not everyone is quite aware of that yet. And so beginning in verse 13, these two men are walking to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're walking and they're talking and they're sharing in these things, and they are heartbroken. I mean, when you read the context, if you go back, and maybe this is something you can do tonight as you take the lesson with you, but but you think about the context. They are heartbroken. And then Jesus appears to them. They don't know who he is for whatever reason, but they don't know who he is, and he begins to question them, and that is where the heartbrokenness really comes out. And in particular, verse number 21. Because as Jesus asks them, what things? And they basically say to him, what were you, born under a rock? Where have you been? How do you not know about these things? And they began to t- talk about him for just a moment. And at the end of verse 20, they say, he's dead. This person that we put our trust in, this person who we were following and believing in is now dead. And then verse 21, but we were hoping. That's that Greek word, the verb form of it, el Pizzo, el, of el peace. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Have you ever been in that position? More than likely, you've certainly seen a child in that position. Maybe they're waiting on their dad to come home, and, and he doesn't make it home. He has to work later. He's gone another day. Maybe they thought they'd get to meet their, their, uh, you know, their favorite player, or they were going to get something in particular. And they say, well, we were hoping. You know, we really were hoping that that would happen. These men say, and that, it's that word that's used there, but we were el pizzo, we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel, and they're saying he is not. He is dead, and in the grave he is gone, and he is not. But like Job, when we think about Job misunderstanding God's power and God's plan, like Job, they misunderstood the plan of God, and when their own expectations are dashed, their hope, their peace is lost. And when the incognito Jesus re- reveals Himself to them, there in verse number twenty-eight, or the f- verse number twenty-eight and following, their hope returns with new joy and power. They then go, and at that very hour, in verse number thirty-three, and return to Jerusalem. I don't know if they made it the seven miles or not, but do you recall that they had gone seven miles? But when they recognize who Jesus is, seven miles is nothing as they have their hope once again and they will get up and basically run probably as fast as they can back to Jerusalem to share the good news of the resurrected Jesus. The good news of the resurrected Jesus still has the power to restore hope. Many people as they struggle in this life have no hope and we can offer them that hope even as we think about Jesus having the ultimate victory over the final enemy. There are a couple of other uh, passages, two other passages I want to share with you here, and the lesson will be yours. The first is in Luke chapter 2. One of them is scriptural. That's obviously going to be this one. Luke chapter 2, as I've given you the reference. And then the other one's going to be uh, a little secular, a little historical. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22 and going really through about the end of the chapter, at least verse 38, you know, there are a few things in life that are more difficult than waiting for the Lord. You know, it sounded appealing to be one of the people of Israel that Moses led out of 400 years of Egyptian slavery. They were surrounded by signs and wonders during that time. But think about it. Would you really have wanted to be been a part of the generation of slaves between the years, say, 200 and 250 or something like that? No, we wouldn't have wanted to. It sounds exciting to witness the things that Moses did, but the waiting is tough. That would have meant that neither you nor your great-grandparents had ever known freedom, going back to the children of Israel. Yet it was crucial that the chain of faith remain unbroken and that Israel keep telling and retelling the stories of God's faithfulness and hoping in the Lord who would not leave them there forever. Yet somehow, sometimes, very often, long-awaited expectations are sweet or even more so sweet when they are fulfilled in our lifetime. You think about our children. If you reared your children to be Christians, the day, couldn't be, the day couldn't get here soon enough for them to finally decide to name Jesus as Lord in baptism. And if it hasn't happened for you yet, then it is undoubtedly part of your daily prayers and your heart's desire and yearning. In Luke chapter 2, Luke's gospel account records for us two stories of two very sweet older people that Mary and Joseph encounter when they bring Jesus to the temple for his dedication. Again, beginning in verse 22, you read that when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We see first, beginning in verse number 25, Simeon. Simeon has been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he sees the Messiah. And then we go further into verse number 36, and we see Anna Anna is married for just seven years and then widowed until the age of 86 and one can only imagine how many days months and years they have prayed wondering when God was going to give them a new blessing and yet here in Luke chapter 2 we see it fulfilled the idea of hope Being people of hope means that we continue on steadfastly with eager expectation that God will make a way when there is no other way. Simeon never quit waiting for and expecting the hope of Israel to come. And what would he tell you on that day after he holds up the Lord of all creation in his own hands? I think he would tell us don't give up. Don't quit hoping. It is absolutely worth it. And what an encouragement for us as we think about, even here in Scripture, that even though Jesus is newborn, in in essence, he's not given his life yet, there is an idea of hope and there is that expectation because, again, go back through the children of Israel. God had promised, the prophets had foretold time and time again, and generation comes and goes and they're waiting, they're waiting. And yet here we get two great examples of Simeon and Anna who get to experience that. Sure, he's not given his life yet. He's not grown up and and gone through his ministry and done that. But we know that God fulfills his promises. And this is one more reminder. We often quote Galatians 4 as Paul would talk about that when the fullness of time had come, God will make a way when there seems to be no other way because he will fulfill his promises. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And when we think about this great picture in Luke chapter 2 of hope and hope being fulfilled we can continue to build upon that even in our lives. The second example that I mentioned would be uh, secular comes from the, a fairly recent book and movie that goes by the name Unbroken. Some of you may have read or have watched that. It's a movie now by the, by, of a book by the same name that is a real-life story of World War II prisoner of war Louis Zamperini. And Louis Zamperini was alive until just a, a few years ago. And in the the book account of his life and also in the movie, he and two other airmen, uh, airmen, one was named Phil and one was named Mac, survived a plane crash in the Pacific and drifted for weeks without adequate supplies and a rubber life raft. Again, I don't know if any of you have watched this or, or read it. I read the book first and then, then watched the movie. But it, it's quite powerful, and there are many examples of that, of course, across uh, history and our world wars and those kinds of things. But to imagine, you know, it, I mentioned watching the sunrise this morning and being on the beach. It's one thing to stand on the beach and see that water, you know, the edge of that water as it just kind of drops off. I, I can't imagine watching that all around you and having essentially no hope not only knowing that there's nothing but water around you, but knowing that the enemy is near as you're actually over towards their uh, territory and where they were. But they survived, uh, the, the, survived the plane crash and drifted for weeks in the rubber life raft. Louis and Phil survived, but Mac did not. And the author, Laura Hillenbrand, who wrote the story and put Louie's story into words, she said it this way. Though all three men faced the same hardship. Same plane crash, same raft, same supplies. Though all three men faced the same hardship, their differing perceptions of it appeared to be shaping their fates. Louis and Phil's hope displaced their fear and inspired them to work toward their survival. And each success renewed their physical and emotional vigor. Max's resignation seemed to paralyze him and the less he participated in their efforts to survive, the more he slipped. Though he did the least as the days passed, it was he who faded the most. Louis and Phil's optimism, hope, and Max's hopelessness were becoming self-fulfilling. It's a, it's a very powerful and interesting read because they are, Louis and Phil are are working, they're trying to catch fish, they're, they're reaching out over the boat, they're doing all they can to try to gather in food, to have something to drink, to, to make it where they can survive just one more day, just a little bit of hope to make it one more day until maybe they'd be rescued. But Max seems to just not help I think they even had some chocolate as they had at least a few supplies among those things that was supposed to last. They woke up one morning, he had devoured most of it in sort of a, a moment of weakness and then there without even more, but yet they continued to hope. And whether it's something biblical like Simeon and Anna here or whether it's something like that, we can understand what it means to have hope and to be without hope, to have hopelessness. Tonight, as we begin to conclude these thoughts, I I hope that maybe this will be something that can encourage you. I wanted to share one final phrase with you. I heard someone say this or read it as I was doing a little more studying, but they described hope this way, that it is the feeling of anticipating a future, the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. The feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. I don't hate my life. I don't think I've got it that bad. But even as we talked about this morning, there's a lot of sorrow around us. There's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of trials. And sometimes we think about this present life and we think it's not much fun. I want something better. And as we think about our lesson tonight, I hope for something much better And that hope is is not just trivial, it's not like food or it's not like the weather. It is the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. This life is, is good in many ways and it's something that we can enjoy, we can have comfort and peace among brothers and sisters, but it can't touch that future that we long for and that future that we have hope in. And so tonight as we conclude our lesson, that's why we sing. This song of encouragement, that's why we think about hope in the word of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to become a child of God. We would be singing to encourage you, or maybe more than likely you're here tonight and you are a child of God, but you've wandered away. You know, Christians can feel hopelessness. Maybe many of you have been there before, where just for a moment of time, or maybe a bit of a longer period of time, you realize that you weren't living as a person who had hope. We're thankful for the song that's been selected tonight. We're thankful for for the moment that we have here that we can sing to encourage one another. The beauty of the hope of the Bible, the beauty of the hope of anticipating the future that's so wonderful, is we can think about that and meditate on that day and night, all the time. We're thankful to be here together because singing these songs, studying these verses, encourages us to think about that hope. Maybe you're hopeless tonight. Maybe you're just struggling with something else in your life. Maybe you need the prayers of your bl- brothers and sisters. We're thankful to encourage you, even now, as we stand together and as we sing. I am resolved no
1: longer to linger, gone by the world's evil eye. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my side. I will. I'm so glad and free, Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife, he is the true I'm so glad. Seated, please.
0: Uh, we're grateful that you're here this evening. I'll go ahead and ask up front here was there anyone that needed to take the Lord's Supper? I don't think that there was. I think everyone here tonight was here this morning. All right. Jeff said he took a few back there just in case. We may not need any, so that's all right. We're gr- grateful that you were here this morning and tonight. Uh, just a couple of announcements. We don't have a lot of updates on our sick. One addition that we did mention was that Beverly Elliott had, fall, uh, had fallen Friday while at home and had seriously hurt her knee, she felt like. And so she should be going tomorrow for an appointment and further diagnosis. And hope that she gets some good news there. Pray for her and for Duck. And as and she's trying to care for him, not being able to do as, as she was just a few days ago. And we mentioned this morning that Jerry Carter uh, will not begin her treatment plan, new treatment plan tomorrow, but uh, had some blood work done last week, and Bobby said they're just kind of waiting right now, just on hold. Hopefully they'll get a call again soon with uh, some new plans for her. And then certainly don't uh, forget that this week is uh, one of the big weeks for Gabby Williamson, as he is uh, due for a scan, I think tomorrow, and then follow up with the doctor tomorrow. Uh, uh, The day after and then treatments as soon after that if that's what's needed after the scan. So we hope that there's some good news there. Uh, There was several on our sick list, still several bulletins out there. Was there anyone else as far as our sick goes we need to mention? Any updates? Uh, Lots of folks we need to encourage with our prayers. The only other two announcements we have that I'd make mention of tonight for you, uh, one is that the table is set up in the Fellowship Hall uh, for the coming great-grandchild of Pat Blankenship. Um, If you would uh, like to drop off uh, any cards there, gifts at that time. And then the ladies' Bible class that meets on Tuesday nights is scheduled for this coming Tuesday night at 6.30 here at the building. Ladies' Tuesday night at 6.30. Is there anything else we had? And we're thankful for the crowd that's here. We hope that uh, everyone will continue to stay well and uh, plan plan to be back with us again at this time on Wednesday evening. Charles.
1: One sick uh, on our list that I did hear uh, from Brother Brett Lawrence texted me yesterday and told me that Brother Stephen has uh, recovered from COVID and he's back at school, so we're happy to report that and thankful for that good news. Brother Stephen Lawrence. Brother James Day, would you lead our closing prayer at the end of this song? Let's sing number 745, 745, Where Could I Go? You know, Joel mentioned this in his lesson this morning. Uh, One of my favorite songs as well. We don't sing it a whole, whole lot, but it's good nonetheless. 745, let's be standing. Living below in this so sinful world Hardly a comfort can afford Striving alone to face temptations sore Where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go? Where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul Needing a friend to save me where could I go but to the Lord? Neighbors are kind, I love them, everyone. We get along in sweet accord. But when my soul Comfort I get from God's own word Yet when I face the chilling hand of death Where could I go but to the Lord? Where could I go, where could I go Seeking a refuge for my soul
0: father which art in heaven we come before you thanking you for another day of life that you've given us we thank you for many blessings that you've given us in life and we especially thank you for your son jesus christ who came to earth to die upon the cross for all the sins of mankind and we also give thanks for our brother joel danley who has given us another lesson from god's word and may we take the lesson and Apply it to our daily living. And as we depart from here, be with us through our daily walk of life and forgive us of all our sins and wrongdoings. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.